0: Breaking fake news from Washington, D.C. Public educators share concern over increase in mass literacy and overall decency among homeschool kids. Washington, D.C., officials from the American Federation of Teachers and the Common Core Initiative have released a troubling report that paints a dismal picture for public school students. According to new data, homeschooled children are now outpacing publicly educated students in math, reading, and overall human decency. Furthermore, while homeschool kids were found to be 32,000 times more likely to have multiple firearms in their houses, they had committed exactly 0% of the mass shootings in the last 50 years. <laughs> Jeez. In a press release time to coincide with the release of the report, officials called for swift and bold policy change to correct this fundamental Inequality in America's education system. There's an entire segment of the population missing out on the brilliant teaching of AFT teachers in the Common Core curriculum, said Brendi Von Spatty, a local AFT union rep. These kids are being forced to grow up under the archaic teaching of dumb religious parents who cling to guns and religion. They are not being taught about their white privilege, their racist heritage, their unfairly assigned genders, their dead god or their terrible country. They aren't even learning long, unnecessarily complicated ways of completing math problems. Spatty had barely finished her sentence before shrieking F Trump at the sky and melting into a quivering gelatinous puddle on the ground. Several brave public school teachers attempted to interject and say they did not agree with the AFT's assessment before they were quickly shouted down and canceled on Twitter. There were a few bright spots on the report, however, public school students far outrank homeschoolers in knowledge of Billie Eilish's musical work, intersectional gender theory, riddle Ritalin use, the latest climate apocalypse scenarios, and literally every social skill. This is Joel Berry and you're listening to the, uh, the Petty Profit Podcast, God help me. So I have to add this little addendum to that little piece of satire there (laughs) because I have a lot of friends who are public school teachers and I have friends who send their kids to public school. And I want to make it clear that, first of all, every public school teacher I know personally is a hero. Being in education right now is extremely tough. Um, It's an uphill battle and it's a calling. And if you are an educator... In the public school system, um, you are doing something that is difficult and you're doing it out of love for your students. And I don't want to discount that. I, you know, my problem isn't with public school teachers. I, I do rail a lot against a system, not the teachers, uh, a system that I feel is failing both our kids and our teachers. You know, and I know a lot of good families with incredible kids, well-adjusted kids that send their kids to public school. So disclaimer there, you know, I'm just poking fun. Um, I had to, uh, I had to represent the uh, the homeschoolers out there. So, <laughs> but today's theme is education. Um, I want to talk about our educational system in this country and why I think it is one of the most important issues today. Uh, something that. I don't think our legislators are talking about nearly enough unless they're talking about, you know, sending more funding somewhere. But there is a very important job requirement of all teachers that I think has been lost. It should be the job of all teachers, American teachers at least, to help our next generation understand the foundations of liberty, to understand where it comes from, and to understand how to preserve it. If you are a teacher, that is a part of your job description. Regardless of what your school says or what your union contract says, it is your job description to understand for yourself where freedom comes from and to teach your students how to preserve it. And I just feel that our public schools, a lot of our schools, are not doing that anymore. How many public schools do our children attend where they will hear words like this.
1: Our founding fathers here in this country brought about the only true revolution that has ever taken place in man's history. Every other revolution simply exchanged one set of rulers for another set of rulers. But only here did that little band of men so advanced beyond their time that the world has never seen their like since evolve the idea that you and I have within ourselves the God-given right and the ability what it once was like in America, when men were
0: free, and that was that was from Ronald Reagan, a speech that he gave. Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. That is a sobering, sobering thought, and even more sobering when you consider that freedom is not being taught today. You know, right wingers and conservatives talk a lot about Howard Zinn and the you know the People's History of America and and. His history textbook, and I don't know a whole lot about Howard Zinn or how popular his history textbook or his writings are in public schools necessarily. I don't know how much data there is on that, but I think it is undeniable that Howard Zinn's mindset, at least, has been extremely influential in the teaching of our history in the schools. And at least what I've observed from, you know, whatever you might call it. Zinn influenced teaching is it seems to look at the history of this country and the founders in particular through an inaccurate lens in that it strips the founders of their faith and their philosophy and what really made them tick and what they were really shooting for, and it views them simply as secular white males who were and slave owners who were protecting their power, protecting their personal property and cementing into place a patriarchal structure that enslaved black people, oppressed women, and preserved power for a few. The conclusion that one comes to when you look at history that way is that America is tainted. It's irreparably broken. The founders were white landowners who were protecting their property and nothing more. But how many teachers in schools today are teaching our kids what the founders themselves thought? How many are teaching our kids where their idea of liberty came from. Let's hear from the founders themselves. Let's, let's, let's read some quotes, shall we? John Quincy Adams from his 4th of July address said this, Is it not that in the chain of human events, the birthday of the nation is indissolubly linked the birthday of the Savior, that it forms a leading event in the progress of the gospel dispensation? Is it not that the Declaration of Independence first organized the social compact on the foundation of the Redeemer's mission upon earth? That it laid the cornerstone of human government upon the first precepts of Christianity? Let's hear what Patrick Henry had to say. Of course, we remember Patrick Henry for his famous words, give me liberty or give me death. But listen to what he said here. Righteousness alone can exalt America as a nation. Reader, whoever thou art, remember this, that in thy sphere practice virtue thyself and encourage it in others. The great pillars of all government and of social life, I mean virtue, morality, and religion. This is the armor, my friend, and this alone that renders us invincible. John Adams, in a statement from 1789, October 13th, 1789, in his address to the military said this, we have no government armed with power capable of contending with human passions unbridled by morality and religion. Our constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. Thomas Jefferson, Thomas Jefferson, whose legacy has been tainted by what a lot of people see as his hypocrisy. He owned slaves. He, in his first draft of the Declaration of Independence, he talked about the evils of slavery, but he said this, And can the liberties of a nation be thought secure when we have removed their only firm basis? A conviction in the minds of the people that these liberties are the gift of God, that they are not to be violated, but with his wrath. Indeed, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just and that his justice cannot sleep forever. What about Washington in his address to the Continental Army? Before the Battle of Long Island on August 27, 1776, he said, While we are zealously performing the duties of good citizens and soldiers, we certainly ought not to be inattentive to the higher duties of religion, to the distinguished character of patriot. It should be our highest glory to add the more distinguished character of Christian. Again, Patrick Henry, 1784, Before any man can be considered as a member of civil society, he must first be considered as a subject of the governor of the universe. What about Jedediah Morse? To the kindly influence of Christianity, we owe that degree of civil freedom and political and social happiness which mankind now enjoys. Whenever the pillars of Christianity shall be overthrown, our present republican forms of government and all blessings which flow from them must fall with them. You know, and that's just a small sampling. Read the... The, the writings of the founders, read the Federalist Papers, and you will find that belief in God, belief in a moral lawgiver who governs all of humanity, was the foundation and the justification for freedom, for the idea of all men being created equal. It laid the foundation that led to the freeing of the slaves. And when we lose this history, we're losing more than just trivia, we're we're losing more than just just a, a quaint look back at what the founders believed in their personal lives we are losing an essential cornerstone that holds up liberty and freedom and when that is lost liberty and freedom will eventually fall as well but you might say you know weren't the founders slave owners weren't they racist well y- It's true that about a third of the founders did hold slaves. Yeah. It is true that every man, (laughs) at some level, is a hypocrite because we're sinners. We are imperfect. Just because we fail to live up at all times to our own ideals or to the right ideals doesn't make those ideals any less valid. But what isn't taught as much nowadays is most of the founders were firmly against slavery. Even more than that, we declared independence from Great Britain in part because several of the colonies wanted to regulate or outright ban slavery in their states and the crown was not allowing them to do so. How many students nowadays are taught in history class that we declared independence from Great Britain because many of us wanted to ban slavery? We declared independence from Britain so that we could end the slave trade. How often is that taught? In the list of grievances against King George that are listed in the Declaration of Independence, it mentions in part that governors and legislatures of these 13 colonies were trying to pass laws and that King George was overruling them. That is in part a reference to the efforts of some colonies to ban the slave trade only to be overruled by King George. You know, there is a grievance that was originally part of the Declaration that was eventually taken out. In one of Jefferson's earlier drafts of the Declaration of Independence, one of the grievances was stated this way. It says, He has waged cruel war, speaking of King George here, He has waged cruel war against human nature itself, violating its most sacred rights of life and liberty, In the persons of a distant people, who never offended him, captivating and carrying them into slavery in another hemisphere, or to incur miserable death in their transportation thither. The King of Great Britain, he says, is determined to keep an open market where men should be bought and sold, and he has prostituted his negative for suppressing every legislative attempt, speaking of attempts by the colonies to ban slavery, suppressed every legislative attempt to prohibit or restrain this execrable commerce. And sadly... Sadly, this clause was taken out of the Declaration of Independence to appease South Carolina and Georgia, as well as delegates from northern states who represented the trading companies, like the East India Trading Company. <laughs> it sounds kind of like lobbyists, doesn't it? And what a tragedy that is. And who knows how things may have gone differently had that clause been left in. But it does tell us how Jefferson in spite of his hypocrisy in owning slaves, how he felt and how many of the founders felt about slavery. And sure enough, as soon as the Declaration of Independence was signed, the colonies set about embarking on the long process of abolishing slavery. And it was a long process. As soon as the Declaration was signed, things started to go into action because The colonies had declared themselves free. So in 1776, Delaware prohibited the importation of African slaves. In 1777, Vermont became the first of the original uh, territories to abolish slavery and free all adult males. In 1777, New York enfranchised all free property men regardless of color or prior servitude. In 1778, Virginia prohibited the importation of slaves. In 1780, Delaware made it illegal to enslave imported Africans. In 1780, Pennsylvania began gradual emancipation. That same year, a freedom clause in the Massachusetts Constitution is interpreted as an abolition of slavery. And Massachusetts enfranchised all men regardless of race. In 1783, Virginia emancipated those slaves who served in the colonial forces against Britain. In 1783, Maryland prohibited the importation of African slaves. 1784, Rhode Island and Connecticut began gradual emancipation. In 1784, the same year, North Carolina prohibited the importation of African slaves. In 1784, Jefferson proposed restricting the westward expansion of slavery. In 1785, New York passed a gradual emancipation law. And this is all before the U.S. Constitution was drafted in 1787. And it just goes on and on and on. I mean, every year, every single year from the, the day of the signing of the Declaration of Independence, you see progress being made in almost every state in the Union. And yes, it took a while for slavery to eventually be abolished, but it was the Declaration of Independence and the philosophy of our founders that set all of that in motion. Keep in mind that all this happened— All this happened before Great Britain themselves abolished slavery as a result of a Methodist Christian revival led by William Wilberforce in England. It happened all before that even. And yet this is not taught. It is not taught that the ideals espoused by our founders written into the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution were founded in belief in God And they led to the emancipation of millions of people who had been enslaved. We're told that America is not exceptional. We are told that America has slavery in its DNA. Well, I disagree. I think America is exceptional because up to that point, no other country in history had ever been established in part out of a desire to end slavery. Never before had that happened. Slavery is not in our DNA. Freedom is in our DNA. From the very beginning, slavery was a sickness and a venom that infected us. The founders crafted the antidote into the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, and even though it took many years to fully extract that poison from our country, and we're still reeling from the effects of that poison today, we still feel the effects. The teaching that slavery and the oppression of minorities is a part of the DNA of our founding in our Constitution is a lie. And that lie has been taught in our schools for decades. And now the generation who has grown up under that teaching, they're working in prominent cultural positions. They're writing for the New York Times. You may have seen uh, the 1619 Project that the New York Times has put forward, Are just a really intellectually Bankrupt line of thinking that was written by a generation of kids who are completely ignorant of their true history, completely ignorant. We have lost the plot of reality. Reality is not a narrative that we construct, reality is not a story we tell ourselves. Reality exists whether we acknowledge it or not. And since we have thrown out reality, we're forced to construct new narratives and lenses and filters through which we see the world. Every one of these alternate narratives whether it be feminist, intersectional, race theory, gender theory, they can only end in one way, and that is absolute power for a few and subservience and slavery for everyone else because only the story of reality with its freedoms established in the reality of a moral lawgiver can stand. Everything else, every construct, every narrative, every structure that we invent that flies in the face of truth and reality ends in death and slavery and tyranny. But when our schools and our education system fail us, the last line of defense is the family. And the family is breaking apart too. If your child isn't getting this at school, they should at least be getting it from their parents. And unfortunately, we're handing our poor teachers a huge mess with the breakdown of the family in America. 40% of kids in America are now born out of wedlock. Almost half of marriages in the United States still end in divorce. So before we point our fingers at the system and at the teachers, let's get our own house in order. Let's work to cultivate households that bring up future defenders of liberty so that we can pass that liberty down and ensure that it will be preserved for our great-grandchildren. You know, this past 4th of July, I was driving my family to a fireworks show here in town and I thought, hey, you know, maybe I should uh take this opportunity to, you know, teach my kids some history, get get us all in the mood and help them understand what this is all about. So I, I went on YouTube and I found a dramatic reading of the Declaration of Independence that I played in the van on the way to the fireworks show. And uh <laughs> I mean my, my kids were like Five, four, and one at the time, so I don't think any of it sunk in, but uh, I think we'll make it a tradition we'll we'll play it every year for the kids and um listening to that reading did have an effect on me. I heard something that I had never really noticed before in the reading of the Declaration of Independence and we all grow up learning the the opening paragraph that begins when when in the course of human events, you know that in the Declaration of Independence, but I think that the most important phrase in the whole document comes towards the end. And it sounds something like this. I'm going to play for you the dramatic reading that I listened to this past 4th of July.
2: We, therefore, the representatives of the United States of America, in General Congress, assembled, appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions, do
0: I had never really noticed that phrase in the Declaration of Independence before. Ought to be. You know, it wasn't just Thomas Jefferson and the founders making, making an assertion. It wasn't just them declaring something because they had the power to declare it. We're not free because a group of representatives declared it over 200 years ago. We're free because we ought to be free. We are free because our very wise founders appealed to, to an authority greater than themselves. They were submitted to the supreme judge of the world, and they were willing to die for what ought to be. And our founders have since passed on, and they now stand before the supreme judge of the world. And they give an account for their deeds in this life, for their sins, and so will we. Let us be about the work of preserving freedom and equality for all of us in teaching the foundations of that freedom to the next generation because we will give an account for how we handled what we were given. And that's a wrap for today. I, I went kind of long today. I'm sorry about that. I know I'm I'm trying to keep these short, but uh, went a little long. We'll see how the editing cuts it down a little bit. I'll try to knock some of those ums and uhs out of there. <laughs> it is a it is a tough line to walk between, you know, sounding authentic and staying on script. So <laughs> I have yet to work that out. Um hopefully hopefully you were at least able to follow along there. And so now uh something I'm thankful for real quick cuz we don't have too much time, but I am thankful for Elm DeGeneres today. My goodness. She was I'm sure you've seen in social media, she was pictured at a Dallas Cowboys game sitting next to our former president George W. Bush and laughing. And inevitably and predictably, outrage cancel culture Twitter came out of the woodwork to condemn her for being seen with the former conservative Republican president. And to her great credit, she gave a really good defense of civility and friendship in spite of political differences and different beliefs that I think the whole country could stand to hear a little more of. Right now. And so I'm going to play that for you as we uh, fade out today. So thank you for listening to the Petty Profit podcast. Again, you can write me at contact at the or reach me on the contact form on the website. If you haven't yet, uh, give me a review on iTunes. Uh, Five star reviews are really helpful. And I hope you're enjoying this content. I, again, I crave your feedback. So let me know what you think. Let me know what you think I could do better. I am no professional here. But I hope that you're connecting with this content, and I hope it's um, an encouragement to you. So thank you to my listeners. You are wonderful, and I love you, and we will talk to you tomorrow. Goodbye.
3: But during the game, they showed a shot of George and me laughing together, and uh, so people were upset. They thought, why is a gay Hollywood liberal sitting next to a conservative Republican president? Didn't even notice I'm holding the brand new iPhone 11. And, um, (laughs) but a lot of people were mad. And they did what people do when they're mad. They tweet. And, uh, but here's one tweet that I loved. This uh, person says, Ellen and George Bush together makes me have faith in America again. And, um, exactly the thing. I'm friends with George Bush. In fact, I'm friends with a lot of people who don't share the same beliefs that I have. We're all different, and I think that we've forgotten that that's OK that we're all different. For instance, I wish people wouldn't wear fur. I don't like it, but, but I'm friends with people who wear fur. And I, I'm friends with people who are furry, as a matter of fact. I have <laughs> friends who should. Tweez more. And I I have, but just because I don't agree with someone on everything doesn't mean that I'm not going to be friends with them. When I say be kind to one another, I don't mean only the people that think the same way that you do. I mean be kind to everyone. Doesn't matter.